Let's celebrate life with a little bubbly. Welcome to Bubbles of Wisdom podcast. I'm Maggie, a law librarian with strong family values and a small business owner who offers a lodging alternative to hotels. My superpower is connecting people to resources. And I'm Danny, an entrepreneur, portrait photographer who happily captures the wonders of all my subjects. I'm an optimist who believes that the cup is always half full. The goal of this show is to inform and entertain you, the woman over 50. You are comfortable with who you are and excited about the future. Our mission is to celebrate your challenges and triumphs with a glass of bubbly. At every show, we will introduce you to a new sparkling wine, Prosecco, or champagne from various regions of the world. So sit back, relax, let's have some fun as we embrace life. Today, we are super, super excited to introduce to you a woman who is following her passion, or shall I say her passions? Because believe it or not, Nadege Fleurimont is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, business strategist, branding guru, and chef. The pictures we posted a few weeks ago are about our podcast. We're taking from one of Nadege's famous events where we had so much fun. Welcome, Nadege. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. It's always a pleasure. And I started my, you know, drinking already. So I'm in a very good spirits for this conversation. Excellent. We're happy to hear that. So before we get started, Nadesh, how can the listeners find you? We want to make sure we get that information first and foremost. Well, I'm a very boring human being. So everywhere you look, you will find Nadege Fleurimont. So that's N-A-D-E-G-E. F as in Frank, L-E-U-R-I-M-O-N-D. Nothing special, just Nadege Fleurimont, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram is pretty much where I live. Instagram and Facebook, they're my babies. But I'm pretty much on most social platforms and definitely my website as well is nadegefleurimont.com. I told you, I'm boring. No, no, <laughs> no, you make it easy for the audience and people to find you. So that's actually smart. You're actually practical. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure where to start because there's a lot there, right? You've done so much. But since I love to eat and we all know that, <laughs> I think we should probably start the podcast talking about Nadej, the chef, and what sparked your interest in cooking. And also, do you remember the first dish that you cooked? Wow, wow. Ooh, you're taking me way back. Food, I always tell people, it's like food was always there, but it was in the periphery because I came to the U.S. when I was seven years old, came to live with my father, who I was meet, meeting for the first time in my cognizant life because he left when I was like one years old. And I moved here to Brooklyn and it was just the two of us. So basically living with a single Haitian father who's super overprotective. And it was just the two of us, <laughs> too. So it was extra hard because my mom was still in Haiti. But my dad is a phenomenal cook, phenomenal cook. So he showed me how to make like real food, like du ricole, the rice and beans, Haitian dishes, and sauce pois at a very young age, specifically bouillon. 
Wow. The first major thing I remember making, even though I've made other things, but the bouillon sticks out because it's my dad's favorite dish. My dad doesn't like food. He likes liquids. He likes sauspoir. He likes bouillon. He likes soup. So I remember I made a bouillon tête cabri. I was eight years old. And he just invited everyone over because he was so proud. And I'd say, oh, c'est manger. Like, you know, she's only eight. She knows how to cook. She's so talented. That's the only place I ever got compliment because he liked showing me off in that sense. So I remember making that dish. But as I got older and I got into food professionally, I was like, wow, it's interesting how I started off cooking for my dad. And he would invite his friends over. They were playing cards and I would always cook on the weekends. And I became a caterer, even though it wasn't intentional at the same time. Because I cooked. I was good at it. I went over to college. I went to Columbia. I studied political science. My aim was to be an attorney. Of course, I'm a Haitian immigrant child, doctor, lawyer, engineer. You talked on something that I found very interesting when you mentioned your dad being a chef, because normally in the Haitian culture, I don't know, maybe you've had, but mostly it's the women who do the cooking. That's true. So that was actually very interesting that your dad is such a good chef. He is because they were on their own at a very young age. He has five brothers. So growing up, their mom died at a very young age. And then my grandfather was already here in the U.S. So they really much, pretty much groomed themselves, you know? And it's funny, I always laugh because it's like, there's this dichotomy that exists in Haiti. As much as people push, it's a very patriotic, machismo community. Yes, yes. Because I think once they get into a family structure, they feel like this is women's work, this is men's work. But because the society is so all over the place, a lot of people are on their own. A lot of kids are being raised by different family members. People tend to be very versatile because I tend to meet a lot of Haitian men that know how to cook. So I think when you probably when they grow up within the structure of a mom and dad, perhaps, and it's very defined, this is a woman's role, this is a man's role. But I think for my dad and his brothers, it was kind of like, if we don't cook, who's going to cook for us? <laughs> and that's how my dad raised me. As much as he showed me how to cook, he never wanted me. He's still upset that I'm a caterer. It's like I'm wasting my life away cooking for a living. But he raised me in a way kind of like, which I love. Because he was like, there's no such thing as women's work and men's work. It's a matter of what needs to be done for survival. Right. That's great. So he's like, you know, watching these TV shows telling you taking out the garbage is a man's job. That makes no sense. If you're here, the garbage stinks, you take it out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Although I have to say, I hate taking out the garbage. That's <laughs> one of my least favorites. I'm like, please. Don't make me do that. I'll do anything else. But not the garbage. Not the garbage. But I do agree with you. There's a lot of men that do know how to cook. They do. And they cook very well. You know, I feel like it's because they know traditionally it's not their space. So there's a tender love and care they put into it, learning, that they just really immerse themselves in it. But I feel like the gasso that knows how to cook, they're really good. Deal. Good. They're good. And to give you an example, when I'm making a salad, I just chop, 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 and I make the salad. It tastes good. 
but let my husband make the salad. He'll sit there and cut everything so precisely. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> we need to eat. <laughs> you know, it's like, but he takes his time and he's very meticulous about it. Like my dad, as good as my dad knows, I know how to cook. I remember because we fell out once I went away to college. And then I remember I was trying to, you know, try to be nice, a good daughter, even though we weren't on good terms. Occasionally, I would try attempt. And the way I did that, just like he did when I was growing up was through food, right? You know, after after they give you a good beating, it's always like a good plate of food, right? <laughs> so I was doing the yes. same. So I remember I made him a fish, a poisson gousset. And I gave some to my friends. They loved it. They were like, oh my God, why got you cooking like this? We know you only cook when money's involved. Like, why are you cooking? (laughs) They were like, oh, I'm starting to see if I could cook for my dad once a week. He's getting older. So I bring him the fish. And this man is like, when you don't have time, I'd appreciate if you don't cook for me. I was like, what do you mean? (gasps) He was like, no, because the seasoning didn't get into the fish good enough. And all my friends are like, it's good to us. It's good to us, please. I was like, I'm never cooking it. I got home. I'm so upset. I'm like, I'm never cooking. They're like, no, no, no. Don't listen to him. Please continue. (laughs) I think they tend to be the uh, harsher critic, right? But that's my dad because he takes so much care. Like my dad will make you boiled water and it will taste delicious. So he's like, (laughs) so he notices the little nuances. It's not like it wasn't good, but he's like, it could have been better. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. So now what is your favorite or perhaps least favorite dish? To eat or to make? To make or to eat both. Well, again, growing up with my dad, because like he says, you know, he grew up with brothers on their own and it's very much about survival. His whole thing is you eat what you got. So there's very few things I don't eat. Like I, that's why I love traveling just for the sake of eating. Cause I'm that person who will eat any and everything. So I pretty much eat everything except tomatoes. I don't like raw tomatoes, but I also think it's because my lips are a little pink and they always called me Jolto Mat, which is like <laughs> tomato <laughs> lips when I was growing up. So maybe there's some trauma that exists around there. So we may need to go to a therapy, you know, therapist to talk about that. <laughs> but that's pretty much whatever it is. And then like, in terms of cooking, again, as much as I do make a great bouillon, I think I don't like all the prepping that, you know, you have to cut, peel. The bouillon itself is great, but it's like you got to peel the root vegetables. You got to chop the veggies. You got to Season the meat. There's so many moving parts that I'm like, you know what? This is basically like a real adventure whenever it's time to make bouillon. So that would probably be like, you have to be really special. Maybe like my daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Would you order out? Oh, yeah. I eat out mostly. I know it's shocking for people, but I mainly eat out. Unless I'm catering or cooking for an occasion. Like my fridge is empty. You know, friends would come over there like, I don't understand how you're a chef. Like quarantine is what really got me cooking for myself again. That's one of the questions that we have for you regarding that. But back to that original question, like one of the things that I really enjoy cooking is goat. 
and fried plantains and rice with pigeon peas. Those are the three things that I like to cook. And then I'll make a bouillon every now and then, but I make it Americanized bouillon. I put what I want. I don't go through and put all of that stuff. You got to do the dombe. The you got to do. I don't. I don't. I just do it my way. You make a really good bouillon. I do make way, a good bouillon. Make a very good I make bouillon. it my way, and I limit the amount of starches. Exactly. We don't need to have malaga, mazombel, yum, banan. Like it's like they put everything. Exactly. No. But- I, and I mainly like the liquid. Like I love. I love the liquid. Yes, me yes. too. So I, I love Dombue though. So Dombue, I'll always want some Dombue if somebody makes it. But like, if I'm making it for myself, I'm not making the Dombue either. No. no, no I don't, I don't even like to make the Dombue. And what is the American translation for the Dombue again? Dumpling, dumpling. Um, dumplings, yes. I don't even enjoy making that. It gets my hands dirty. <laughs> what about you, but it's pretty simple, right? It's, you know, it's like... It's just so good in it. It is very comforting when it is in the bouillon, though. True. <laughs> what about you, I make, a, I make a really good chicken. People love my chicken. Well, how do you make yours? I don't know. I guess it's the spices that I choose. I like to put a lot of greens in it. And I also like to make a lasagna. That's my what I was waiting to hear. Well, <laughs> die for the lasagna. If I don't make the lasagna for his birthday, it's like, yeah, that's not a birthday. So it's a Haitian lasagna or it's an Italian lasagna? Do you make it with the apis? I put some apis that people don't know. And I remember one time I made my lasagna and I went to my brother-in-law and everybody's eating it. You know, I cooked it over there, actually. And then my sister-in-law goes, no, I think one of them goes, you know, it's really good, but there's something missing. I'm like, what? How dare this? Something is missing. I'm like, she said, what's missing? (laughs) They're like, you special ingredient. I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Because I put cloves. Mm. Again, quarantine reconnected me with cloves. I forgot Mm -hmm. the power. The oh. power, the magic, the essence that is Giwafloves. Yes, Giwafloves. Because it's a really specific flavor and it really elevates. Because I also feel like a Zuricole is nothing without Giwaf. Like a Haitian rice and beans does not exist without cloves. Well, you brought up the pandemic a lot. And yes. so I use cloves for two reasons. One is for my special pandemic, pandemic tea. tea. Exactly. <laughs> That include the cloves, the ginger, and anything else under the sun. <laughs> under the sun. If it was naturally grown, you throw it in the pot. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And so during the pandemic, you know, you mentioned that yourself, that you were cooking at home. And a lot of people were cooking, baking. And I actually used my bread maker for the first time ever. <laughs> And it was a horrible, it was horrible. I have to say it was not that great. So I definitely need to practice. But you used it. <laughs> but I used it, right. exactly. And I do enjoy watching the videos of people making bread without the bread maker. And I plan to do it without <laughs> the bread maker someday. But I'm super excited to hear about your book, Taste yeah. of Solitude. Yes. A culinary journal, which you say sparked out of the COVID-19 quarantine. Yes, because, yeah, as I mentioned before, I think the pandemic, we're still living in it. It's not like was, right? I was about to say was this pandemic. But I think the initial months of March, April were really scary, especially scary for someone like me whose livelihood depends on events. 
and that I am really like a full-time entrepreneur. I'm not like, there's no day job. All my side hustles are my business, <laughs> right? Yes. Right. So it was a really scary moment. And then I think for the first couple of weeks, I panicked, you know, but I also realized like, you know what? Power is within our control. It's in our hands and we make what we want. We can basically turn into a situation into whatever we want. And I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Reggie Canal, and he says, you know, he had heard a quote and it stuck with him. And when he repeated it to me, it's like, what magic can I create out of this situation? Mm. So I kind of like let that be my guiding light. I was like, well, I can't go out and cater. I can't do the events that I do. I can't do all these things. But what I do have control over is myself, my mental health, my physical health, etc. So I was like, well, since we're trying not to be outside, let me get to cooking. So I'm not, you know, having to go in and out of stores. And I started cooking. But then for me, cooking has always been like a team sport. As I mentioned to you, it started off from a young age. Like I would cook and my dad would have his friends. And then I went to college. I would cook and my friends would eat. So I felt a little off cooking just for me, even though I've always lived alone. I don't like cooking for one. So I turned on my camera. I was like, oh, I could still make it a team activity. And I started cooking live on Instagram and on Facebook. And then just through that, people were just so glued to the shows, like started writing me, oh my God, you're helping me get through this pandemic. Your dishes are so cool and you're so cool. You're funny. You're crazy. Like all kinds of different interactions. And I was like, oh my God. So it kind of like became a sort of therapy thinking of like, what dish am I going to make next for me? But also for all these people that are like also waiting for me. Right. So it kind of like got me through. So I had no intention of writing a book. But just as I lived each moment and was very honest with my feelings, the fears that existed, and I shared some of those as I was cooking, people were like, well, you should write a book because you're sharing all these great recipes. And they know, but they were like, you should write a book more so for the recipes. But for me, again, food and life always interlock. So just like when I wrote my book, Haiti Uncovered in 2014, it was a traditional book about Haitian recipes, but I wanted to go to Haiti, travel the country and share the travel story, share the history of the food. So for me, food is always a way to tell bigger stories. So I was like, let me write this book because you want the French toast recipe. You want the plantain lasagna recipe. You want the black rice paella recipe. But I think I will also take the opportunity to also share those feelings, those emotions, those lessons that came out of that. Because for me, it's kind of like life, our work and the people and the things we do for fun, for me anyways, they don't separate. There's no separator between who I am as a business person and who I am as a regular human being. I try to bring the same values to both spaces. So I decided to share those. And if I may interject, I must say that truly the book is amazing. I enjoyed it. And I did like the fact that it wasn't just a recipe. To me, that's what made the book. And my favorite quote was this one. Food is nourishment to the body, while friends are nourishment to the soul. The lucky ones get to eat great food while dining with friends. That indeed is culinary bliss. 
And for me, that that represented the book. Yes. 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 And thank, thank you for that. Me. Because like I said, I feel like, you know, people always talk about music, but I was like, the real soundtrack to our lives are dishes, our food, our meals, and the experiences, right? Yeah. So I feel like almost everything good, bad that we've ever had, we kind of like can think of a reception, a dish we were having, or I ate ice cream for a month after a breakup. Like food (laughs) always either soothes us, consoles us, you know, angers us, whatever it's going to be, right? But there's always a connection to what is really happening in our world and to how we respond to that through food. Like we said, some of the biggest changes they've made in their health happened over some major trauma and that change usually is through food, right? It's like, oh, I started eating better yeah. because this happened. Oh, I gained 50 pounds because this happened, right? Right. So mm-hmm. we're very emotionally connected to food. And then, I, like I said, I just think the people in our lives, I go back to my dad and I'm sure a lot of you guys can relate with family members. It's like, oh, Shelly, come here. So as they come to visit you, they bring you a piece of bread or a piece of candy, some kind of dish, you're visiting someone on Sunday, you bring them a dish. That's right. You bring a dish. And if you don't eat, that's big trouble. You eat, and that's extremely important. That's right. Even if you fold, you better eat. You better eat. <laughs> that's right. There's no such thing as you're not hungry. But at the same time, and they're like, oh, you gained some weight. Come and oh. have some food. <laughs> And they give you those huge plates. Exactly. They don't realize there's a connection, right? Well, yeah. you just told me I gained weight. <laughs> we don't have portion control. There's no such thing. That plot is based on how heavy their hand is or not. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And you also mentioned in your book, what did you mean by not being a structured cook? Structured because, like I said, growing up with my dad, my dad was like, the essence of a true cook is being able to create with whatever you have. Yes. And I just did a cooking class yesterday and we were doing it and I showed them how to make legume with coconut white rice and we're cooking. And I was like, I'll send you guys the recipes after because I feel like when you're following a recipe, you don't really connect to the dishes as much. And I feel like that's why we have soul food. That's why non-Western cultures, the food hits, right? It hits your soul. Yes. Because really people really connect to the ingredients connect to their palate, connect to their feelings. So that's why they say sometimes people do a recipe and it's like, it still doesn't come out the same because there is always an element of you that comes with creating a great dish. So I don't call myself a structured cook in the sense that I didn't go to culinary school. I learned how to cook through my own research, my own love of cooking, my own exploration. And the fact, like I said, I really just love blending flavors. If I'm really cooking, that's why I love my last book in terms of it being a fusion book, because that's how I eat. I love traveling. I love seeing how someone did something. It's like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with it. You know, I'm going to turn it into this. Yeah, it's great. So we'd like to ask you to hear more about how you help entrepreneurs create impactful businesses. Because we've explored Nadesh, the, the author, We've explored the chef. That's right. Now the businesswoman. We want to hear more. Fueled by passion and purpose. Yes. Yeah. But like I said, it's funny. I tell people everything I've ever done is not, I don't set out to necessarily do. It's just that through my work, it just happens, right? For example, I coach because 
I've lived my life doing exactly what I'm coaching about. Like I've been passionate about food. I've been passionate about people. I've been passionate about connecting people. And I created a business around that that's been able to sustain me for almost two decades now. And I think people having recognized that, seen that, taken that journey with me, the ups, the downs, they're like, oh my God, I'd like to be able to do that too. And then my whole thing is, I also am a strong believer is like, we're going to work anyway, so we might as well work doing the things that we love. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that makes a difference. So I don't think everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur in the sense that I think, you know, it's a different muscle. We all have different personality traits. Not that everybody couldn't be, but it's just like you have to choose your heart, right? Your heart may be going to a nine to five and dealing with an asshole boss, but at least you could deal with that because there's a nice check at the end of the year, of the week, right? But me, I don't want to deal with an asshole boss. So I'd rather choose like there may not be a check at the end of this week, but I'll wait two months and it's going to be a great check. And at least I didn't have to deal with that asshole boss. But then there was a week or two when I was building my business where I really was like, nah, I'm good. I ain't going out to dinner because my check didn't come in yet, you know? So you really have to know your personality and what you can deal with. But I do tell the person is never think you can't. You can make a living doing almost anything, whatever it is, hair, glasses, clothes. And that's why I said passion-based entrepreneurs and creatives are mainly who I coach because I think being from the immigrant background that I'm from, I think a lot of Africans, Asian communities deal with that where our families really just want security for us. So their whole thing is get a job yes, and be good. But we also know that doesn't exist anymore necessarily, right? There are YouTubers making million dollars and then doctors can't even keep up. (laughs) And we get some of that. I know. (laughs) Create an app and you sell the app. There's more than one way to skin a cat. So... I really teach that to new entrepreneurs. I do a lot of work with youth as well. Like I teach in New York City public schools where I do teach them like, hey, listen, you love sneakers. Well, you can create something around that. But also, no, it's not just like just the love of it. There's still a structure that comes with it, right? There's still an element of understanding your market, your clientele, the marketing that exists with it, the financing that comes with it. So I still try to teach both ends of it where, yeah, the passion is great, but it's not enough to yield the profit if you don't build the systems and the structures. And that's basically what I've learned. Tell us the name of your consulting company. It's called Roar Consulting, R-O-A-R. So yes. it was a name that came Warriors. up. Warriors. <laughs> so I called it, yes, the whole tribe is called the Warrior Tribe. And how that came about is because I went to Columbia undergrad and our mascot is a lion. And I was like, oh, I I love the fierceness of a lion and how brave they are, right? It stands for reach, organize, act, and realize. Because I realized with these four things, you can get anything done. All you got to do is reach, which is the ability to dream, the ability to hope, the ability to see what you want to do. Organize, structure yourself. Organize can mean a lot of things. It could mean going back to school. It could mean getting financing. It could mean just cleaning house, meaning organized could just be like, these are my bad traits. This is what I need to work on. These are the things that's going to help me. I need to work on my discipline. So once you organize, what is it that I need to do to get that reach, that goal that I said I wanted in my art? 
then you have to do that third part. And this is where a lot of people fall short, unfortunately, but it's the most important step, which is the acting. You have to act. You can want, you can dream, you could plan. You ever meet that person that plans forever? They want to do? Oh, yes. And they can do. I tell people, most of the people I coach are way more talented than me. I'm just more brave, maybe. Yes. You're action-oriented. I'm very action-oriented. So it's a little trick that has served me. I'll speak to people that's like, well, such and such is not that great. They're not that great of a dancer. They're not that great of a singer. They're not that great of a chef. Then, of course, there's somebody with way less talent than you doing way better than you do it, doing all the things you want to do because they act. They are brave enough to take action because the real growth happens in the journey. It's in the doing. So you got to do. You could plan forever. You ladies are doing this amazing podcast. You could have planned, researched, watched as many YouTube videos, read as many books, follow as many podcasters. <laughs> At some point, you have to pull the band-aid yes, and just do and it. Just do it. You pull it on. But even when you come on, you're going to run into stuff. Oh, what happens when a, a guest forgets they had an appointment and don't show up? <laughs> <laughs> or the tech is no good, you know? The tech is no good. The tech is not acting up, or maybe the system that I thought was a better system, I need to convert. You're not going to know all that it entails until you actually do. Because then now this has to mesh into your lifestyle too. So yes, how does it work in conjunction with everything else that I do? So the doing is really your real test phase for you to really know. So planning out, it could be perfect on paper, but until you do it, you won't know. So that acting stage is great. And the final R is for realize, right? You've done it. You've realized it. How do you adjust? How do you tweak? How do you scale? If it's great, you scale, right? How do I make it better, bigger? But if it needs tweaking, how do I tweak? And how do I, you know, continue on the path? So it's a never ending process because you got to keep going. Because people always say, I always like, Bill Gates still work. Oprah still work. Because at the end of the day, they still have things they want to accomplish. Right. And they have now, to maintain it. We need to mm. ask you another question. I knew this conversation was going to be amazing, but hey. <laughs> yeah. So the other question, because, you know, Nadege is also into real estate. How did that happen? I mean, it's a tough market right now. So do you have any tips for anyone who would be considering getting into real estate? Thank you for that question. It's again, I met a friend of mine over a decade ago. And this is why I tell people how my life has turned out, has been based a lot on me leaning into situations, leaning into things. I'm very clear of what I don't want to do. But I was like, since I usually don't know what I want to do, if it's something that I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't hate this, I'll try it out. So a friend of mine had a restaurant called Solomon's Porch. Remember that. Oh my God. I love that place too. He was a Haitian owner, by the way. I remember when I first moved to New York, I used to hang I out remember. there a lot. And I bumped you into bumped her into, husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you both called me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because it was such a great venue, live music, very thing. So he he hired me to do some business development, project management, booking for him at the time because he wanted to grow the restaurant a little bit. He's a developer. And he was like, oh my God, Nadege, you'd be great in real estate. I was like, I don't do real estate. I'm a food person. Leave me alone. That was like 2008. And I just like kept telling him no. 
we stayed friends and he's always like, every few years, he's like, Nadez, you should really get into real estate. But I always say everything in due time. So late 2019, even though we, I would get into some deals with him because he's a developer. I did some investment, but never really got into it. He was like, you already have a built-in network. Real estate is a people business. It's not a house business. It's a people business. You know people. You've built trust among people because you do what you say you do when you say you're going to do it. I think real estate is for you. So in 2019, I decided, I was like, you know what? Let's try this out. Beyond just doing a couple of deals, investment deals, making a little change here and there, let me actually explore it. So I decided to get my license, tell a couple of other friends about it. They were like, oh, this sounds like a great thing. So 2020, I'm like about to hit the ground running in real estate. The pandemic hits. In the beginning of it, we're focusing like, you know, shutdowns. You can't do this. You can't do that. But then interest rates dropped and everybody wanted to buy a house. Yes. A lot of people wanted to get out of the city That's as right. well. They That's saw the right. importance of having space in a yard. Yes. People were like, you know what? I don't care. Even if they decided they wanted to buy an apartment, they're like, I'll buy something that has a courtyard. So everybody wanted freedom of their own space. And then the rent has gotten so expensive in New York City that you realize once you can get a little down payment, it's cheaper to own. You know, you might as well own. So people started buying and then real estate picked up. But also for me too, whenever I step into a space, I'm always looking at other opportunities because even through our office, since he's a developer, I'm like, we're always flipping houses. We're always doing these investment deals. We do these beautiful renovations. Why don't we do renovations for people? So he's like, you know what? That's a great oh, idea. I love that idea. Because, yeah. And it was one of the ways we've been growing the company because it was kind of like, well, we do it for ourselves. Today, we just visit one of the projects from one, again, a longtime friend who purchased all my books, purchased all my food products, but she also loves real estate. And when she saw that we were doing real estate, she'd been wanting to gut out her house. So she hired us to do it because she's seen the work we do. She's visited some of the flip projects. She's seen it. So I tell people it can all work in tandem because the one thing I was always afraid of is things looking disjointed. They're like, oh, TV's out all over the place. And I think some people will always say that to the extent they don't understand what you do. But I tell people I'm more like a lifestyle curator, right? Because we're not one dimensional. We're not like, oh, I'm artist, so I don't like science, right? <laughs> some people are like that. Sometimes you can be. But some of us, it's kind of like, no, there's multiple things that I love. What I've learned in business is you got to give everything its season. When you want something to grow, it does require special TLC, tender love and care. So I've built my catering business. So now it can run more without me being as hands-on. And there was the space that I built the trust that I needed to build. I built the community that I wanted to build. Like how I know you ladies is through food. How I know so many other people is through food. But once people see how you work in one space, it's just like a job application. What do they tell you? Skill sets are transferable, right? That's right. So once they see how you function in a space, Nadej is committed to excellence. Nadej works hard. Nadej will always do beautiful things. Even in building this new event space that we just opened, we had people booking it before they, it was finished because they're like, it's you. It's going to be quality. Your reputation precedes you. That's great. 
Yeah. So real estate was one of those blessings. Like I said, I never thought about it. I I ran away from it. But now I'm like, oh, this makes sense because I don't feel like it's something totally different that I'm doing. It's just the same thing of this mission that I want to empower people to grow. So financial growth is important to me. And I feel like home ownership is important to the extent that it's possible. Because I'll be honest with you, ladies, I think as much as I'm a caterer, I'm a coach, I'm a this, I'm a that, I think what I've realized over the years is more so than anything, I'm an educator. Through everything that I do, I try to educate. I cook, but I wanted to educate people about Haiti. you right. I do real estate, but I want to educate about home ownership. I want to educate about wealth building. I want to educate the importance of leaving a legacy, right? So almost everything that I do, there's an education and a teaching component. And I was like, it just so happens these things, these things that I'm passionate about that I love are like the tools. They're the tools that I have. It's my machete. It's my knife. It's my scissor. I'm using them to be able to do the work. Also, you're a branding guru as well, right? We wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about that because I can totally see the mission and how you're utilizing all those tools. But at the same time, throughout the talk, I could hear the know, like, and trust. And having studied marketing, it takes me back. I'm like, yeah, I can see the guru here. I can see the branding guru because throughout the talk, know, like, trust kept coming back. So do we even have to ask her why she's racist? I didn't even say, whoever wrote my bio wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) She read the bio. (laughs) But I can't talk about myself. Even on Clubhouse, when I go, I have a friend named Julia. When she's in the room, she's like, let me introduce her. Nadesh is just too humble. Because I'm like, hi, I'm Nadesh. I'm an entrepreneur in Brooklyn. And she's like, that's it? That's all you're saying? Step aside. And she starts talking because it's really hard for me to be like, how do you encapsulate whatever it is you do or talk about yourself without it looking crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kirk, we'd not say crazy about you. That's for sure. <laughs> so we have a final question for you is the question we ask all our guests. What is your favorite bubbly? And do you have an interesting story to tell? I've always liked kava because I'm not really like a wine person, but I like kava because it has like, you know, it's more like a sweeter flavor for me compared to like true champagne. And I remember going to Barcelona a few years back and then just going to this bar my friend Cindy took us into and it was just like, they were just pouring it. Like it was just like dive, but it was like a fancy dive, right? The food was coming out. (laughs) Everybody was just on top of each other, eating off each other's plates. This was (laughs) (laughs) pre-COVID. But we're in this bar with strangers and then just food is coming. You're just grabbing. And I just loved the vibe. And it was just like a cover bar and just the drinks and the freedom and the community that existed in that space with people we didn't even know. So I love that aspect of it. But, you know, I'm still a Haitian girl, so I want my barbecue at at the end of the night. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Nadesh, thank you so much for being our guest and cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers, ladies. Thank you for having me. Unlike our usual pop, this time we are opening a can. (laughs) This is so amazing. This is House Wine Brut in cans as recommended by Vicky in episode three. 
So please go get a listen so you can get all the details. And this wine, we absolutely, this sparkling wine, I should say, the grapes are Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio. Yes, and this is from Walla Walla in Washington State. I believe in the Columbia Valley. That's I've never right. been there. Yes. Neither have I. Yeah. But I just like to say Walla Walla. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do like the fact that it's in a can. And we do like that. We because, did not expect it. No, we did not expect that. because, And we're not accustomed to drinking sparkling wine in a can. True. But one thing we do have to say that it's transportable, right? Mm-hmm. It's great for outdoor activities, the beach and picnics. Barbecue. Barbecue. <laughs> true, true. We can easily conceal it while on the beach. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> Which is difficult when you have a bottle, I right? Know, and, you know, when you have to bring the bottle opener to the beach. Oh, oh my such God. A headache. Extra work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I really love the fact that it's nice, light, easy, and super practical. I agree. Mm-hmm. It's very light. The taste is dry, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a li- it's dry. It's sweet. It's not overly sweet. Right? No, but it has a little sweetness to it, you know, and I like that because it's not a very powerful wine. No, it's not powerful. No, but nevertheless, it is very good. It's a very good taste. I think totally I can see myself doing this. I don't feel that I need to pair it with anything. Right. It's, you were saying that, right? It yes. It doesn't warrant that, right? No, no. This is something I can see myself drinking at the beach and, you know, just enjoying. Yeah. Like the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> And I have to say, I agree with you. For me, it's better than drinking beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's different, but this goes down so smoothly that I think it could definitely replace beer for me. Yes, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I really enjoy the taste. I mean, you know, when actually try it, take it and just swirl it into your mouth. I'm trying to do more of that, people. We're learning how to taste wine. <laughs> but definitely when I swirl it into my mouth, I am tasting all the different fruits. The grape. Yes. The apple, a little mm-hmm. apple. Mm. The, pear, the pear. The pear. I know mm. we keep saying pear, but I can totally taste the pear. I agree. Mm-hmm. This is delicious. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. Vicky, this was a great recommendation. And what is it? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Yes. Two thumbs up. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of your summer, people. That's right. We will. We will. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Bubbles of Wisdom podcast. If you like this episode, please share it with your BFFs. You can find all our information and join our mailing list at bubblesofwisdom.com. You want to keep this conversation going? Follow us on social media, Instagram at Bubbles of Wisdom, Facebook, Bubbles of Wisdom, and of course, Twitter at Bubbles underscore Wisdom.